on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. When people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them that I accidentally started a business and they, they look at me and laugh. And then when they realize I'm not laughing, like I'm, I'm dead serious. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. The reality is until a perfect stranger pulls out their wallet. Yep. And, and votes with their money, dollars. Exactly. Right. You just, you just don't know. There's no way to know. And so it's all risk up to that point. You just, you just have to jump. I don't know everything about business, but, and I know a lot more than I did. It probably cost me about as much as, a, as tuition would have. And so you may lose, but the education that you get is worth everything. So just jump, just, I would say, just go for it. Don't worry about the risk or anything. Start it earlier, go for it. And if you lose, you still get the education from it. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Joseph Watson here on the King stage. My brother, Joseph, how are we doing today? Doing good. Good, doing good. How are you, Chaz? I'm doing wonderful, man. You know, it's interesting. We were just off air talking about swords. And I was given a sword a couple of weeks ago for my birthday and my little three-year-old son it has quickly adopted it. And you've got some swords in your background here. So for those that can't see the video, uh, you got some awesome ninja swords. You said maybe one day if we got to know each other well enough, you would tell me the story. So my goal through this conversation is to become your buddy so you can tell me about the swords, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. Joseph, tell us what kind of business that you got, man. So we are Canine Sport Sack. We make forward-facing backpack dog carriers. We make them for specifically for sporting events, things like that. They're not the type of carriers that you necessarily carry on a duffel bag, on an airplane. They're, they're specifically made for sports, and that's why it's called Canine Sport Sack. I love it. I love it. I told you right before we hit the recording button, I was you know reviewing my notes, and I just love how the marketplace is wide open. You can provide a product which then solves a problem and you make money. Like that is just how it works. And for you, I just would have never thought of doing this. Like that's just not my, my lane. I'm so glad that you created it because I'm just not that person. But man, yeah, you're, you're, you are crushing business, providing just an awesome product that someone like me would have never thought of. So I just, I just love how you just jumped into this very specific area, but crushing it. So anxious to hear your story, man. Okay. Before we get started with your story, Joseph, I want to know why, like why the business, what's the bigger picture? Why are you still doing it? Cause obviously you're, you're, you know, operating at a pretty high level of success at the current moment. Like what's the deeper seated motivation for you? You know, you say that, that you wouldn't have come up with the idea. We actually didn't either. When people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them that I accidentally started a business. And they, they look at me and laugh. And then when they realize I'm not laughing, like I'm, I'm dead serious. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, but basically the motivation and the story are, are kind of one and the same. I, it was about 2008 when my sister-in-law was, she was working at a, at a junior high in, in Bountiful, Utah, which is just North of Salt Lake city. Yeah. And she went to take the garbage out and she 
threw the garbage in the dumpster and heard something whimpering down in the dumpster. And so she climbed in and found this little cage with this little puppy in the dumpster. And my in-laws already had a dog, so they, they couldn't take her. And so she brought her to our house and we were like, okay, you know, we're poor college students had like $30 in our bank account. Yeah. And we said she could stay with us for the weekend. And I mean, that was what, 14 years ago. So we're done looking for a, a good home for her. She's actually, she's right here. She comes to work with me every day. She's, she's totally deaf at this point. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Her name is Dumpster Daisy, but we call her Daisy for short. Daisy. Uh, but we were, I was, I mean, we fell in love with her over the weekend. And during that time I was, I was training for a bike ride. It's a 206 mile bike ride that goes from Logan, Utah to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, it's wow. called the Lodeja. And I was training every day after school. We were working like three jobs between the two of us, me and my wife. And, you know, whenever we could sneak in a bike ride, we'd go for maybe a 25 or 30 mile bike ride. And I would come home every day and, and, you know, we had these low windows in our living room and we'd, we'd throw on our, our cycling gear and ride off. And Daisy would sit there and look out the window at us and, yeah. and it just broke our hearts. And so we, we decided to, to see if there was a way to, of, of course we did what, you know, any, any pet owner does, you know, my dogs need exercise so she can just run alongside us. So we just, you know, yeah. took her with us on the first ride or two and she made it maybe half a mile and just kind of like <laughs> laid with this look on her face. It was like, I'll just, I'll die right here. You know, just pick me up on your way back through. And yeah. so I, I picked her up and put her in my arm and, and, and rode back to the house and which is like super dangerous. I'm like clipped into my pedals. I'm hitting curbs right. and, and like we almost yeah. died probably five or six times. And <laughs> so we, um, I, I can't remember exactly which happened first, but we went to a store and we bought, we bought just like a, like a front carrier okay. and it was the only one they had that, that would work for sports. There, yeah. there are carriers out there that, that, you know, work as a duffel bag and stuff. And obviously those are not going right. to work for bike rides. So we picked right. out one and it was a front carrier. And as my knees would go up and down, I would like jostle Daisy around and she fell out yeah. of it a times. I still had to use an arm to carry her. And so it was. It was pretty right. ineffective, but at some point around there, we just, we just kind of threw her in a regular backpack. We took like a school backpack and kind of zip tied the zippers together yeah. and she just kind of sunk into a puddle in the bottom of the bag. And so it never, I mean, we tried slings, we tried rear facing carriers. The sling kind of hurt my shoulder when she was facing backwards. She got really motion sick. Um, when, when she was, you know, we put her in a, an enclosed carrier and she just kind of threw herself from side to side. Cause she just didn't, she didn't know like yeah. who was carrying her. She wanted yeah. you know, to hang their head out the window. Yeah. So I did the load I came home and, and they, they had given me this little like swag bag, you know, the ones with the, the drawstring that you carry your shoes oh, sure. and stuff. Yeah. So I, I came home and we were about to give up. We, we basically given up on, on the the whole, you know, taking her on bike rides, just kind of yeah. leave her at home. And I, I threw the thing on the floor, turned around and, and turned back around and she was laying on top of that little bag with her tail just gyrating like crazy. And it's pretty obvious that she wanted to go for a bike ride. So I guess I lost my mind and I kind of stuffed her into this little bag and I've got <laughs> these pictures of me like that very first ride and she's yeah. getting, you know, her armpits are sticking out under this, this bag and she's on my back and yeah. It, it worked better than anything that was on the market at the point. It was like this little janky swag bag was yeah. the best pet carrier on the market. And so I, I got home from about a 20 mile bike ride and I had these purple bruises on my shoulders. Yeah. And my wife, Jen, she took apart that old school backpack and put the, the padded shoulder straps on. And, and from there, it was just like, I would take a bike ride 
and we realized that it needed better balance. So we built this collar enclosure on the top of it and these armholes, their arms to go out because she would rotate around and, and uh -huh. it just kind of evolved around her. Yeah. And we, we eventually sat down with kind of a, a little pattern of some sort and drew this thing up and, and created this yeah. carrier and, and, you know, to your original point, like you wouldn't have had the idea for a business. We, we didn't either. Like we had no clue that we were going to start a business with this. And it was after like probably a couple dozen people like pulled me over to the side of the road as I'm riding, interrupted my ride and said, yeah. dude, where did you get that? Where can we get one? And, and we're kind of slow on the uptake. You know, it was that many people before we started thinking, man, there's a market here. There's a, there's a yeah. hole here. And so the idea of like, you know, making money off of this product that, that, that came way later on. We were just thinking, man, we could solve a really big problem here. So yeah. we, sent, we sent that prototype off to a, a prototypist in Spokane, Washington, and they, they sent it back. And we, I went to my, went to my father-in-law, we didn't have any money to do this. So I went to him and I said, there's a show in Las Vegas we want to do. We want to, you know, we need to manufacture these bags. And so I think we borrowed like $2,500 from him. And, and as he's writing the check, he said, I, I got to go on record, man. I, I'm willing to, to, to lend you this money, but I got to go on record. I do not believe that there are enough people in this world that are going to want to carry a dog on their backs. I've, I've got to be, you know, the authority figure here and say that. But if there's- Yeah, you're nuts. World, yeah, you're nuts. I, I want to go on record that, you know, you're nuts. But if anybody can figure it out, it's Jen, which is my wife's name, his daughter. And yeah. so, great. That's how my father-in-law feels about me. So we took the check. <laughs> <laughs> we did the show it in Las Vegas and, and we, I mean, you show up and you're nervous. Like we, we had no yeah. idea. Like, I mean, the reality is your friends and family can say, you know, this is a great product. They can, they can pump you up and, you know, right. Crack your football helmet and slap your pads and be like, yeah, let's go game on. But the reality is until a perfect stranger pulls out their wallet yep. and, and votes with their money, dollars. Exactly. Right. You just, you just don't know. There's no way to know. And so it's all risk up to that point. You just, you just have to jump. And so we went down to this show and it was, it was kind of a homegrown little show, probably five or 6,000 people. And, and we, uh, this lady came over, I was riding around on a, on a mountain bike in front of our booth and we had like homemade signs. I mean, we had made, we had done yeah. it cheap. Like all these people got these glossy booths and everything. We've got like poster board and, you know, canine sports sack written in like chalk. And it was, it was really, <laughs> really, you know, unprofessional, but this lady came over and she, she looked at my back and she said, what, what is that on your back? And I said, well, this is called the canine sports sack. And she said, is this your booth right here? And we watched her. It was like, it was like Moses. She bought a bag. She turned around and she walked over into the crowd of people. And, and we watched their heads turn as this lady walked through this crowd of people. And yeah. then the heads turned and looked over at us. And then the crowd just kind of moved, moved. moved over. <laughs> And so the show went from eight o'clock to four o'clock and by 11 or 12 o'clock, like by, by like noon, we had sold out of every oh. bag we had. We were taking back orders and we were frantically calling that manufacturer in Spokane going, we need more bags. And, and, you know, we, from there, it was just kind of a snowball. We had zero business experience. So I was actually going to school at UNLV, getting a master's degree. And the plan was to become a, a, a history professor. Wow. So I, I, I was about halfway finished with my PhD a year and a half later when it, it became one or the other. It was either PhD or do canine sports act because it had gotten so right. big that yeah. I was need to dedicate my my entire time to it. And, and so it was just the next 
years were just us pinballing from one mistake to the next. And yeah, it, it really is. It, it speaks a lot to the power of our product that my own ineptitude didn't just crush the business outright. Um, right. Because I, I, I mean, I've had to learn it on the fly. I mean, there's no template to work from. You just have to kind of, you know, make the mistakes. And Thank goodness Jen saved you. <clears throat> yeah, she, she sure did. And, and she, and she continues to save me too. She's, she really awesome. is part of the business. She's, she's like, we run it together. She's my, my silent partner, I guess, but she's really the one in charge of it all. So oh, shout yeah. out to her. I, I, I get that. Well, I just had to, I had to fulfill the prophecy for your father-in-law to let him know, you know, that <laughs> Jen clearly has, has saved the day here and thank goodness <laughs> Joseph didn't run us into the hole here, you know? <laughs> Yeah, which is which is funny. You know, it, it it's funny now. I probably didn't feel so good then, but I can remember a time when my wife's grandmother, who was a professor at a university, and she just adored me. Like walking on the arm to church, adored me. Like I was, I, we were boyfriend girlfriend at the time. Like I was the one that like, she wanted to walk on Chaz's arm until she found out that not only I had dropped out of college, but I had no intention of going back. She. Plainly, bluntly, clearly let me know that I would never be successful without a college education and, and, and had wanted nothing to do with me after that. <laughs> and so I, I, I know those moments where, where that very distinct, huh? Okay. Watch, you know, yep. I, I understand that feeling at all. So not, not to say that there's disdain or anything on your end, but there there's, I'm sure there was a little, little weight that you carried with that for, for a while, as I'm sure all the listeners have had that moment for themselves. Where someone says, I, I don't, I don't think you can do it. Thank goodness Jen was there. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to describe to people what's going on in your head. Yeah. You just have to show them. And, and that, that, that takes a lot of risk. But my, my father-in-law, he's actually come down and worked for us a couple of times. So that's, that's satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. There, my, so my wife's mother, my mother-in-law still today will say something like, you know, I, I really wish it was her mother would be around to see all of your success because obviously I was, I was much younger and I hadn't started any businesses or whatnot, but she, she remembers that moment. So, uh, okay, Joseph, I want to get into pr some practical stuff here. You gave us just, I mean, I could probably sit here with my popcorn and just keep you, you know, uh, engaged here with telling the rest of the story. I was, that was really good, but practically inside other than starting, cause that sounds like that was a great decision. What was a good decision that you guys made that like you can look back on and go, when we did that, things really, really started to work for us. What was that? You know, I tell you what, we, this, this actually started out as what we thought was a mistake. We thought we'd messed up bad, but it ended up being one of the greatest things that could happen to us. Okay. So I was, I was 16 years old. All my friends got cars and stuff. And, and my mom, she's a seamstress. She likes to sew. And so she, she got me this 1963 Bernina sewing machine that, I mean, it like weighed as much as a car, but sure. I like, I told my friends I didn't get anything for my birthday. Cause I'm not going to tell them I got a sewing machine. Right. But I took that, put that thing in storage. And then when we went overseas, we, we started manufacturing in bulk. The, the manufacturer in Spokane couldn't handle the volume anymore. Sure. So we started manufacturing overseas and the the design of our bag see a lot of a lot of backpacks they have the straps the shoulder straps that come out of the top of the bag a seam that comes okay. out of the top well yeah. our bag has these you know six inch armholes that go above the shoulder straps and so the shoulder straps basically come out of the middle of the bag okay. and it was uh, it was a pattern that was really hard for them to figure out and so we got our first it was like two thousand bags from from it was it was Asia yeah. and the bags came in 
And we had a couple hundred back orders and we sent those out and they, we immediately got reports that Feedback. they were broke. They were breaking. The, the shoulder shots were just coming out of that seam because they, they didn't know that you had to double stitch it. And there was, there's a, you know, we, we just hadn't figured it out yet. We used material that we could afford. We, you know, used thread, we could afford things like that. And so we, we thought we were done. You know, there's this cold feeling that goes over you and it's like, wow, we've done this for a year. There's a couple now. hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, at a couple a couple hundred bags at that point was a lot of bags, and then we had like yeah. eighteen hundred left in stock, and so I I sat down just kind of on a on a whim. I just sat down with that sewing machine that my mom gave me, pulled the thing out of out of mothballs, and and I sewed that extra little stitch across the underside of the shoulder straps, and each bag took me ten minutes. And so you do the math, that's like 1800 bags times 10 minutes. That, that's a lot of time. We would, I'd come home from, and I had another job at the time. So I hadn't quit my full-time job yet. And I was still going to school. And so I would come home, do my homework, put the kids in bed and then work until like three o'clock in the morning. But I, over time, I started to, to realize I'm sitting there looking at this bag and you're looking at it for hours and hours on end. And you start yeah. to think, you know, if we had some vents on the side of it, you know, this would be a lot cooler. If this thing had a little bit of stretchy material here, it would, you know, if we had some straps that went across the zipper and you start to, to build fail safes into your design. So as I'm sitting there fixing this bag, the design begins to evolve in my mind. And yeah. now we have a bag that we, we have a breakage rate that, I mean, you're not putting a, a, you know, laptop or papers or anything in it. You're putting a living, breathing animal, one that you ostensibly love that to death. Care about, yeah. It cannot break it like it yeah. has to be right yeah. and so we we have a breakage rate that's absurdly low in part because we take so much time to to you know make sure that our quality control is in place but also right. we've got all these like defense mechanisms in place all these like safety nets built into it so that if this breaks there's a fail safe that that just a redundancy i guess that just kind of picks yeah. up the slack there yeah and and so all of that came from a disaster what we thought was a disaster really we are where we are now we have six or seven different products we, we carry dogs with the biggest dog we've ever put in a canine sports section was 125 pounds now whoa we have we have our biggest bag rated up to 80 pounds so anybody listening don't go put 125 pound dog don't put your saint bernard in there yeah legally we're only allowed to say 80 pounds but but an 80 pound dog that's that's a big dog that's and our dog will hold it and so that was that probably the best not necessarily decision, but best set of circumstances that could have possibly happened to us at that moment. Yeah, I loved how you broke down the the mind work because <clears throat> really, I mean, the, the MS of the show, good decision, bad decision, and we'll get to your bad decision here in a second, but it's really about creating environments, even if we don't realize it in the moment of how do I think, how do I, how do I process this information so that I can make better and better and better decisions? And so I loved how you broke that down, like where you were fixing a problem, but it wasn't just like, let me hurry up quick and stitch this. Let me just, I got schoolwork. I got kids. Like you could have given yourself a million excuses. Just hurry up quick, stitch, get it done. And that probably would have solved the problem. But you, you, you were more than that. You were, you were trying to solve a greater problem. Problems that you didn't even have yet. Probably because of the feeling in your mind, of which I've felt this way before several times with, with a certain circumstances that you're trying to figure out. It's like, Okay, well, if this happened and it made me feel like this, you know, 200 bags, I get all this feedback. I don't want this ever to happen again. So I'm going to go like 
all in on this thing. And because I can't just like band-aid it because then you're going to get another one and another one. So I just love the way that you like forced your mind to figure it out. And that's just, just such a valuable tool as a, as a accidental entrepreneur or even somebody who, who did it on purpose. I think like our mind is powerful if we push it to like figure stuff out and pro solve problems. What would you say to what I'm saying here? What's your response? Yeah, to that? absolutely. It, it really, it has led to all of the improvements that we've had over the years. All of the, you know, I, I, I promised myself, like you said, in that moment, I would never feel like that again. I would never be in a position where I was looking at my product and wondering if, if it was even worthy, if I, if I could, you know, in good, in good faith, present that to a customer right. and, and feel good about it. And I, and I promised myself I was always, I would never send out another bag that was not perfect from that point on. And that moment led to all the improvements, all that. I mean, we've, we've got bags that, I mean, we've got a bag that's coming out soon that, that does a million different things because this, the very first bag was not perfect. So yeah, it, it has led to a lot of our product development improvements for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, just the examples that you gave there and the mindset, I think is just really, really valuable. So I hope the listener is paying attention. <clears throat> it's sometimes it's those, those feelings. I remember I was only 25 and I had just one, actually two edible arrangements locations. It was Valentine's Day and I had no idea what I was getting into. I had zero clue. And Valentine's Day came and went and I had no teeth remaining. <laughs> I mean, I did obviously, but it felt like I got them all kicked out. Right. And I'm just, you know, I had, I'd been awake for three days straight and felt like I was buried. And uh, I said, this will never happen again, which pushes you into systems and process and hiring well and, and thinking way in advance and going, okay, well, this happened. And if that happens then that happens and like thinking like through these thought trees of the, if then scenarios. Um, and so I just want the listener to take this away because you gave us just some incredible juice that I think all entrepreneurs, and this is a conversation that doesn't come up very often, but when you start thinking like this, you start, it's not like really even planning. It is planning, but it's like, you start like anticipating is what it is really. And you can make really good moves when you're anticipating and anticipating well. For sure. For sure. Joseph, tell us about what the bad decision was. What was something that happened that just did not work out at all? Oh man. It, it kind of dovetails with the last question. I, my own hubris. I, I started, um, I started thinking that I knew everything about my product. I, I got to the point where it was what I wanted to put into my mm. product. And I, and I stopped asking my customers what they wanted. So we created a bag. It was actually really cool. We still own the technology and we haven't really put it to bed yet, but it, it has these zippers that go around the bottom. You know how like luggage, you have two yeah. zippers One that opens the luggage and the other one that pops it out about three inches. Yeah. So we've got a canine sports sack that has two zippers that go around the bottom that pop it down. Yeah. We thought it was a brilliant concept. We thought, wow, we now we've got a one size fits all. Cause one of the, the biggest issues that our customers have is getting the right size for their dog. Dogs are sure. just, I mean, a million different sizes. And so we've got different ways, like a, a booster block that goes in the bottom that kind of mitigates the, you know, split sizes sort of a thing. Yes. But we thought we had solved the problem. I went down to a, a physics professor at UNLV and I said, what, you know, we don't want to make a white bag that would obviously get really, really dirty, but what's the next coolest color? And he went through the color spectrum and said, you know, green, right in the middle of the Roy G. Biv spectrum, green is the coolest color that isn't white. And so I, we made a bunch of like bright green bags. I chose the fabric. I chose the design. I put way too much into it. I took, 
I took too many of my own ideas and I wrapped up in this one bag. And when it finally came out, A, it was so overly complicated that nobody could figure out how to use it. And B, I hadn't asked one customer what they wanted. And the first question was, dude, we don't want green. We want something that matches our shoes. We want something that, and so we ended up, if we had done even a marginal amount of testing, then we would have found out, we would have found out that, you know, it was overly complicated. It wasn't going to work. And that the design, the quality of what the materials that we had chosen, they were inferior. Yeah. And so we sent out, I mean, we had, at that point we were a lot bigger and we had a couple thousand back orders. And as soon as they showed up, we sent them out and we did a recall and the recall cost us, it cost us all dearly. And so from that point on, I realized you know, I'm not making these bags for me. I'm making them for a customer. And I've, I've kind of instilled that in my employees, like everything you're doing, you're doing for a customer. And for us, a customer is a hybrid of a human and a dog. So you have to consider the human and the dog when, when building a product or building a marketing campaign or when, you know, right. responding to a customer service question or even packaging something up. And, yeah. and so those are the, that, that switch in mindset from let's do it the way we want to do it to what is best for the customer's experience has been absolutely massive. It has connected us to a customer in a way that yeah. previously we just, we just weren't. And now we don't build anything unless a customer has given us the input to begin with. We've tested it with, you know, we've got some, what we call platinum customers, people that have been, sure. you know, become friends and influencers over the years. And we send them, you know, 10 of our products, test them out, get their feedback, kind of roll their feedback into the final version, the gold sample, as it were. Right. And, and we really haven't had any flops since, because that was a, that, that was one of those moments again, where I will, I will never be in this position again. That was one of those, your body goes cold and you lay there for three days and you don't eat and you say, wow, I, I blew it. And so yeah, we'll yeah. be, you know, our customers are our feedback. Yeah. I mean, you've given so much just lifeblood, honestly, in the last couple of minutes. I hope the listener goes back and listens again. My follow-up question to you is this. Because at, at some point that had to change, and I know you just kind of gave like a, maybe a tipping point, but when you started the business, it was because you created a product for you, right? And, and so at some point you realized it's not for me anymore. And so you just gave us the moment when that happened. Tell me the mindset behind that because you started the business or accidentally building a product for you. But what you just said is that I'm not building a product for me. How does the listener take your story and go, well, he started like this, but it had to transition to this. Like as an entrepreneur, take that and then put that into their business. You know, I, I, the way it happened for us and, and I'll go back to, you know, it's, it's always scary, no matter how much feedback you have to, to release a product, but when we were riding around with Daisy on our backs for the first, I mean, it was like a year. I had a guy, it was a guy, he was in a black SUV, an Escalade or a, or a you know, a Tahoe or something. He, he, he pulled over so violently that I thought, I, I mean, he, he, he ran me into the weeds and he jumped out and he was very excited. And he said, where'd, where'd you get that bag? Where can I get one? And he was really disappointed, like, like absolutely crushed when he found out that we'd made it in our, our kitchen. Yeah. And he offered me $300 right then and there for that bag. And so that was the moment where I thought, okay, there's a market for this. This isn't just for me. Yeah. So I, like I said, I'm kind of slow on the uptake. 
that was when we discovered that there was a market for it. And really almost every product that we build, we, we do what we call market verification. You got to make sure there are going to be customers for it. If, you know, if it doesn't solve a problem, then it really doesn't serve much purpose at all. It doesn't do anything. And, and so the best way to determine if it's going to solve a problem is to ask a bunch of people if they have that common problem. Is this a problem that you have? Fortunately, we had enough people that like aggressively told us that they had that problem, but it wasn't until a lot later that, that it clicked that, you know, I'm, I built a product. Yes. For me and my dog, but I'm not alone in this. Right. But, but it wasn't until years later when I looked up and went, you know what? Customers know what they want. They know what they want. They know what they need. They know. And, and I am one data point. Yes, I am a pet. I'm a pet owner, but I don't have a big dog. I don't have a dog that's anxious. I don't have a dog that, you know, dogs come in a million different shapes and sizes and personalities and all that stuff. And so really the only way to find that out is to go out in the world and ask customers to describe their dogs to you and dog people. They right. will, they will talk about will. their <laughs> all day, every day. They love them. They love their dogs. And so we have an entire department that's dedicated now to, we call it user experience. And it's just people that just go out and do surveys. They, they go through Amazon reviews and just glean the good and the bad. They, we have our customer service people who just sit there and take notes. We have, we have piles and piles of information that comes from the customers. And, and that was, yeah, it was a moment in time where we realized, yes, this is for us, but this is actually for them. So we better build it for them. Yeah. Good transition there. I think you gave that just a super honest you know, feedback there because you're right. It is for you. And oftentimes we start the business for us, even if we're not serving us like you are. We start the business because we want to put food on the table for the kids or whatever. For sure. But at some point, it has to become more than that. And, and we talk about this in Gathering the Kings Mastermind Group because it's the transition from warrior to king. Warrior is selfish ambition, which is okay. You have to do that for a period of time. And then king is like, I just have so many more people to think about as I'm making decisions, which is the weight of the crown, as we say. But for you, your clients are a part of that. And, and every business should be. But with your product, it's just really, really awesome that you could kind of figure that out along the way because you've got <clears throat> thousands of data points and are more than willing to give you some feedback. Because <laughs> dog owners, man, my my wife, I'm I'm surprised she doesn't know about this bag. We've we've done we've done some different things over the years with she'd put some you know in the front of the front of the bike and you know little basket type things and so I already know after she listens to this show that there's going to be at least three bags ordered and so I'll be I'll. <laughs> I'll be a new data point for you, or maybe she will. Well, hey, we value your feedback. We we really do. We view our customers as as a department. They are they're our R and D. They're an, an R and D department, and without them, every single time we've done it on our own, we've failed. And every single time we've taken them into consideration and done exactly what they want, we've had a huge hit every single time. I love it. That's just such good, clear mindset. That's just so good. I'm going to transition to our speed round here, Joseph. I want, from a practical standpoint, inside your business, I talk about KPIs. My first question. I say it like this, though. If you could only pick one thing to track inside of your canine business, what would it be? Oh, man. One thing to track that one that ties everything together? In essence? You know, I, a couple of years ago, I, I sat down and I asked the question, how is canine sports act doing? And that's, that's really a question that can't be answered. Like, how are you doing it in what sense financially? You know, how, how, how are you doing in, in all these different senses? And I, I realized I, I built these really intricate spreadsheets where I would say, you know, we're making this much money, but we're spending this much to get here. And 
I focused a lot on the money. And, and so at first blush, it's like, oh, sales, I would, you know, sales. And then from sales, sales come from, you know, Amazon, our website, and from wholesale, we have like 3,500 stores around the world that carry the canine sports sack. And so you kind of compare those against each other. And, but the reality is the wholesale department is run by a wholesale manager who is managing a team of people. The marketing department, you want to look at it like, oh, how much money did marketing bring us? But the reality is the marketing department is run by people. And, and so the, the KPI that I would choose is if you can quantify it and you can through, you know, employee turnover and stuff like that, but employee morale, what kind of, how, how do you quantify your culture? If, if my people are well taken care of, they're happy, they are motivated, they're challenged, they've got, you know, all, all the, you check all the boxes. You don't have to worry about sales. Sales, sales will come because a good, a good employee or, or a happy employee radiates something to the customer. The customer feels satisfied. They feel comforted. They feel at ease. Yeah. They purchase your product. And that's where sales come from. So, so sales in and of themselves, they don't stand alone. They, they ride on the backs of, of our employees. And so we've got this, this pay structure where we, we pay our employees probably Jen, Jen is my CFO. She takes care of all the money. She's always complaining about how much we're spending on our employees. But, but re the reality is we pay them probably higher than market value, but we've also got this bonus system written into it where we pay them, you know, we, they, we want to give them something to chase. And yeah. so we have, nobody ever quits from canine sports. Like we have people that graduate from college and then we just put them in a, in the position that they need to be in to succeed. So whatever they enjoy. And if they have a work day that they enjoy, then everything else falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, pause, rewind, replay, just <laughs> gave some really, really great information that just rolls out of you. So naturally. How did you get to that place? Like for the listener right now, it's like, oh, that's so good. But like, I don't have a clue how to start doing that. Like, how did you develop these, these just principles inside of you to take good care of people? You know, some of it, some of it probably predates Canine Sports Sack. I, I, I worked for a small company before I came to Canine Sports Sack and the boss there was very kind. He was very generous, but he had never been an employee. He had always owned his own business and he'd forgotten what it was like to work for somebody else. So there was this disconnect between us and him. And so we, I remember, and this is his, his right. I would, I got paid the same amount every year and his houses got bigger and his cars got faster and, you know, I, we made him a lot of money. And so I remember thinking as an employee, if I ever get the opportunity to do this, I will do it different. So I came into it with a certain mindset that comes from, you know, 30, 30 years of being employed by somebody else, I guess. Right. But, but to get to that point in at canine sports sack was a lot of trial and error. I, I got it wrong. A lot of times early on, I was, I was, I would micromanage this person and then they would quit because I was, it's really, it's hard. It's really difficult to build a project, a product. Right. To, to build a department by yourself because at first it's just you and then, then it's like you know mitosis it just kind of you know the, you kind of divide and divide you hire two people to do the job that you were just doing and now we've got 25 employees and and you know but it never was easy to say okay i built this to this point you take it from here because you know they're not going to do it like you did that you know they're not right. going to 
they, they don't view it the same way. And so that was really tough for me. So I'd micromanage employee one, they would quit because their boss was a micromanager. And then the next one, I'd say, okay, I'm going to give you total creative latitude to do whatever you want. And that person would quit because so they needed I, some structure. I, I, yeah, I appeared, I appeared apathetic about what they were doing. I didn't really seem to care. So right. then, you know, over time I kind of figured out a structure moderation. There's this balance yeah. between, you know, being overly involved. And, and so that, that just came through years and years of understanding that employees need a certain type of working environment to succeed. They need a challenge. They need a, you know, they need something to grow toward. And so we, we built this kind of matrix of cultural proclivities that have served us well. They don't, they don't fit everybody. Every once in a while, we have somebody come in that, that just doesn't fit super well, but we hardly ever have anybody who that just outright quits and leaves canine sports yeah. at. So good, man. So good. And I love the stories behind it. What, to, what book or resource would you recommend for a business owner trying to grow this year? I, I liked the lean startup. The lean startup was a really good one for me because it, I, I'm really bad to tinker with a thing ad infinitum. I will just, I'll take something and I'll, I'll, I'll mess with it forever. And it, that was the book that, that finally said, look, at some point you got to lay the thing down. At some point yep. you got to take it to market. At some point you have to do, you know, and so the, the concept of a minimum viable product was really important for me yep. because I, I would just, I would keep perfecting something and perfection is it's, it's a, an exercise in futility. So it, you have to go with good enough. And so the lean startup was, was the one that really helped me out a lot to, to get past that. Yeah. It's a good example. You got to be free enough, not to necessarily to not care, but free enough to say, all right, let's just start and know that you're going to get some feedback along the way and we'll adjust. At some point and you just got to jump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause otherwise nothing ever, nothing ever happens or no one ever gets, you know, the, the bag, no one ever gets to ride with their dog. You know, the actual thing that you were trying to provide doesn't actually happen. Yep. What do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs? I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So we do these shows every year. They're, they're big ones, super zoo and, and global. The, the pet industry in and of itself is a, as my dad says, it's a good old boy network. It's, it's kind of a closed group. These people, they know each other for years. And, and so you go to these shows and you'll have, I mean, th there are thousands of booths there and half the people that are there this year won't be there next year. And that's just sad to me. These people are trying to live their dream. They, they are in the scary phase where they're unsure about what's going to happen. And so we have, we have several companies that, that we've helped to grow and they've helped us in turn. It's not just us, sure. you know, being altruistic. They're, they're like, I mean, I'll give you an example. So there's this company called Rexpecs. So Rexpecs okay. makes these, these like really high-end goggles for dogs. They look like snowboarding goggles. Wow. We, we sell almost as many Rexpecs as Rexpecs themselves because when you look at their website, you think, at what point is my dog going to be running across a park fast okay. enough to necessitate eye protection? But you, you juxtapose it. You, you put it side by side with the canine sports sack and it clicked, oh, well, I could be riding a bike or a snowmobile or, you know, skis or whatever. And now I'm going to need eye protection for my dog. That's right. And so people buy a lot of Rexpecs from us. And so Rexpecs, you know, we've, we've helped them grow. 
they've helped us grow because people, they, they do want rec specs. They just don't see the value in it until you juxtapose it with the value of the canine sport sack. And we've got yeah. a whole bunch of products that we sell in our, our, our own website, our own store, things like that, that interface with our product perfectly. And we do a lot of cross promotion. We do a lot of, if, if uh, we had a lot of people at the very beginning, store owners and people who'd been in the industry forever. And they went out of their way to help us out. And if we can help anybody else do that, then it's just a, it's a kick. I absolutely love that. So I am all about cross promoting, becoming involved with the industry. It, it, it can do nothing but good if you have more friends than less. Yeah. You, I mean, you gave like eight different principles, but the one, the one I want to hone in on was the strategic partnership for you and Rex, Rex Specs is like. What a, what a perfect combination. And that I, I mean, I'm, I assumed when you said Rex Packs, I'm like, okay, I'm assuming this is goggles for dogs. And it was, I hadn't even put it together that it would make sense for you to sell them. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. And so when, when you can not only hone in on your product, but then you look at adding value to others, which that's really, I mean, you, like you said, we sell probably as much as they do outside of us, which is a huge value to that company. But for your client, you are providing through selling them something more, which makes you more money. You're, you're adding value to your client even because you're making a, an all-in-one solution. There's just so many you know, synergies that can happen when you're like, you could have just tried to you know, build rec specs on your own. Like we're going to do goggles, but rather you decided to partner or, or have a strategic alliance. There's just so much value in what you just said. So, I mean, I could probably analyze it for the next hour. That's what I love to do, but we don't have time for that. I have a question for you about family. Okay. So I am on this like journey of this mission to help entrepreneurs figure out how to be obsessed in their business and in their families, because the word balance, in my opinion, for entrepreneurs, just throw it out the window. Like it just doesn't exist. So inside of that construct, how have you been obsessed with the business, even working with your wife in the business? Thank goodness Jen's been there, right? No. And then, and then over here, your family and kiddos and all that stuff. Like, how does that, how does that come together in your world? And what can you share with other entrepreneurs who maybe struggle in this area? You know, I, it has, it's taken me a long time to find a balance and I'm not even 100% sure that I, I've, I have found it. I, for years, I was working an 80 hour work week. I, I used to, I used to laugh when people would complain about a 40 hour work week. And I would say, Hi, I remember my right. first part-time job. I, I just, I, I, I got to the point within the last couple of years where my kids were growing up. They, you know, I, I have a, an eight year or nine year old who plays soccer and she is, I mean, she's the best one in her league and I want to see her play. You know, I've got a, a girl who ice skates. I've got a boy who plays baseball. And so owning your own business gives you the ability to go do those things yeah. whenever you need to, but you do have to get to that point. So, you know, at the very beginning, we were doing everything ourselves, all the shipping. We were doing all the, uh, you know, customer service and everything. And it was an 80 hour work week. I am grateful to Jen for, for, you know, taking a lot of that, that burden. We, I guess we front loaded our schedules because now we have a lot more time, but the reality is when you have the ability to hire somebody do, because two people doing two jobs is, is, I mean, it's, it's, it multiplies. Then you, yeah. you know, eventually you're going to have four people doing four jobs. And that's, if, if I had continued to do it all myself, we wouldn't be where we are. Right? We had to hire. 
So not only have they taken a bunch of the burden off of me, but they have freed me up to do more of those, those family time things. I don't know that I have an answer. I can just tell you what I have done, which is work like a dog for five or six years and then hire enough people to take over those jobs. And now, now I work from home a lot. I go and see my kids play their sports. I'm still very involved with canine sports act, but you know, a different level, diff different level. Yeah. I appreciate that authenticity. <clears throat> I don't know if any of us have it quite figured out, but I think that we're all, at least, at least for the ones that are listening that, that, you know, want to, want to have a holistic approach. They want to, they have wholesome values on both sides. They don't want to just be a successful business owner, but they want to be a great dad and they want to be a great husband. There's always going to be that, that play to be better. Just like there's always going to be a play to be better in the business, but some of those things are super practical. I appreciate that. I got one last question here for you. Ready? Okay. If you could whisper in the younger Joseph's ear, what would you say? Oh man. I, I think I would have started earlier. I, I think, no, you mean knowing what I know now? Like if I knew it was going to work out the way I'd say, I'd say go for it earlier. Cause I spent a lot of time wondering about the risk. I'm not, I have no aversion to risk necessarily, but I mean, you lose a lot. If you lose, you lose big when you go into a business. So there's a lot. I, I would, I would go back and say, look, there's a way to do this where you can check all the boxes that isn't going to take you. I mean, we, we found Daisy in 2008 and the first canine sports that came out in 2015. So, I mean, that's seven years of demurring about, are we going to do this? Are we not? If we had started years or we'd be way farther ahead than we are now, I would say, don't be as afraid. Don't, don't be as scared. Just, you know, take, take the risk. And, you know, even if you lose, like I said, at the beginning of the, of the podcast, I had, I came into this with no business experience. And now I, I mean, the shirt that I'm wearing today, it's from Ensign College. I got this shirt last week when I was speaking at Ensign College up in Salt Lake City because they wanted me to come in and speak about my business experience. Yeah. I don't know everything about business, but sure. I mean, I know a lot more than I did. And I mean, it probably cost me about as much as, as tuition would have. And so you may lose, but, but the education that you get is, is worth everything. So just jump. Just, I would say, just go for it. Don't worry about about the risk or anything, start it earlier, go for it. And if you lose, you still get the education from it. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably use that education just to do it again. I do it and do it better for sure. Yeah, exactly. You've been incredible. Your story is, I, we didn't even get probably half of it, but super fun. And I'm just so thankful that to have you here. How can the listeners, number one, find your product? Where can they go to order? And then number two, how can they find you as an individual? They want to, you know, do the business chat with you. How can they find you? For sure. Yeah. So we, we, we sell, we have a white labeled bag. Arcadia Trail makes, makes our bag at PetSmart and we sell petco.com, target.com, walmart.com, amazon.com. But if you really want to get the full experience, caninesportsac.com has all the, you know, the most updated sizing guides and videos. And basically you can cram more of your own personality into your own website. Um, yeah. So really, you could probably go down to a local store and find it, but caninesportsec.com for sure. And if they want to get a hold of me, I mean, just customer service can, I mean, you just info at caninesportsec.com. I have access to it. I check it every day. It's that's, I don't necessarily respond to all the customer service emails, but if somebody reaches sure. out info at caninesportsec.com, I will see it and I, and I will respond. And so I, I really, I get a kick out of answering any questions. I don't know everything, like I said, but if I do know the answer, I'll give, the, give it my best shot. And if I don't know, I'll, I'm not going <laughs> to, I won't lie to you. I'll tell you that I don't know, 
So yeah, if anybody has any questions about business in general, about canine sports sack in, in specific, anything like that, just reach out info at canine sports sack.com. Love it. Love it. Joseph, you've been incredible. I, I selfishly can't wait to like, you know, get to know you maybe a little bit better. I already told you my wife's going to order a few of these bags, I'm sure. So we'll be, we'll be talking more, I'm sure. But thank you for being here. Blessings on your family, your business, your team, everything that you got your hand to. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.